Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Eric Bilstadt, before you leave, you, you see today is a big day worldwide. See what see what I've got on the, the TV up there? Soccer is underway. Professional soccer. The English Premier League is back. And, um, again, this is maybe a le- lesson for Major League Baseball. We'll discuss this a little bit later on. But uh, English Premier League soccer, which is arguably worldwide the big deal, um, they – they're they're back and they're playing. They they've got uh, I think like a, eight, all the teams have like another eight games or something to play to finish the season. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because there was a push to stay closed, but because there's so much money involved, and they were saying if they didn't play the games, they would have to like refund like some stupid amount of money. I mean, like we're talking hundreds and millions of dollars in TV revenue would have to go back. Sure. And so they all got together, and so now they're playing. And it's, and it's interesting the way they've done it. They're they're going to wrap up the season, and English Premier League doesn't have playoffs. There's you just, you just finish the season, and you have a winner, and then the bottom three teams get relegated to a lower division and things like that. But um, they're going to play... The whole season is going to be played over the next, I, I think it was 40 days, and they're going to have, and so games are going to be televised, like 35 of those 40 days. So they're going to have, again, I understand it's soccer and it's not as big a deal in the United States, but worldwide, they're, they're going to be featured you know, day after right, day non-stop. after day after day. So and I think it's pretty interesting what they're doing with the stands too, where they have these. I mean, speaking of money, they're making a little bit because there's these giant advertisements over right. over the seats, right? Where normally fans would be, right? You know, and and I don't know what it's like for the players, but today there's two games today, and the, the first one just you know just started. Um, there, but you know, from the perspective of of view the viewers. Now we, I don't have the sound on, so I don't know if they're like. Bump, you know, putting in crowd noise. I suspect they probably are. But from the perspective of the viewers, I mean, you see the field. It's 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 a game, right? You know, that's there, which tells me if and when the NBA ends up coming back, um, it, it's going to be the, the same sort of thing because you're going to have multiple games in any given day. My, my guess is, you know, they're playing in Orlando. There's multiple basketball courts. You're probably going to have three or four games going on, mm-hmm. you know, one after another after another. Kind of like the NCAA. It, exactly. And I, I think from the perspective of people who might be starved for, you know, sports, it, it's it's a great it's a great mm-hmm. tool. And, again, makes you wonder – you know why baseball can't get its act together because i think they're really missing they're they're missing this window of opportunity because right now if you're a sports fan even if you're not necessarily a soccer fan it's pretty much the only game yeah. in town right now <laughs> it's something know. to watch right I, man i and i i admit i got i i do why i got I got into it. I and I didn't play soccer or anything, but several years ago, used to go to the gym to work out early on Saturday mornings, and it was the only thing on the soccer games because of the time difference. 
Um, a lot of times they'll start like at six o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. So you're on the treadmill, you're looking for something to do. You don't want to watch a rerun of something. So I, I started watching the, the soccer games and got hooked. You know what else it does? It, it's something to bet on, which I know sounds <laughs> silly for some, but that there are, there is an outlet for, for many. That's a faction out there for many Americans who like to do that type of thing. And who knows? Maybe there's an opportunity there. Well, I, I was I was going to mock you, but the truth is, I can't say I've never bet on a soccer uh-huh. game. Cause I, well, you know, in, in, again, you're 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 in Vegas, and you know, it's it's one of those those things, and you're sitting there. Actually, I made some money on one of the soccer bets <laughs> because it was one of these deals, and and you can bet on a team to win, okay, or you can also bet on a tie. And the odds are the you know, because there's a lot of ties. You know, soccer sure, they course. don't they don't play at playoffs. There's a lot of ties, but the odds are. A lot better, you know, on, on ties and stuff. And so I, I remember I had this bet. I bet a tie, and my brother was mocking me. He says, "You're betting on a tie," and it came in. It was a tie, <laughs> so I was laughing all the way to the window. So yeah, I, I, I can't mock you. I, I do not do it on a regular basis, but I have to acknowledge there's probably one or two occasions in the past that I played Kino once too. Kino is <laughs> wow. Kino, wow. Kino is gambling for people who have lost the will to live. You know, you see. You, you, they don't have as much Kino as they used to in Vegas, but I remember it's like 2 in the morning. Honest to God, it's 2 in the morning. I'm not ready to go to bed. Bad sign. So I'm just sitting in this Kino thing, and, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, you, you pick these numbers, and you just kind of sit there and, and, mm-hmm. and, and watch them come up. Sure, yeah. So right. I don't think that one worked as successfully as uh, betting on the tie. But <laughs> I'm sorry. I digress. Hey, but before we get into the substance of program, I want to do a very sh- uh, special shout-out. Um, uh Actually, the father of a friend of mine turns, well, 96 today. His name is Milton Hamilton, big birthday bash. And and Mr. Hamilton, uh, long career in the military, West Point grad. He, he actually finished up working at the Pentagon, and he worked in the portion of the Pentagon that was subsequently bombed on, on 9-11, and um, just a, a outstanding man. And uh, again, um, he uh, 96 years old. 96 years old. Gru, do you think you're going to make 96? You don't think you're going to make 96. Now, I, I, I don't know. But if, if you do, if you do, I think you get a shout-out on the Wagner program. So, of course, let's see. If you made 96, that would make me, well, <laughs> there, yeah, maybe there'll, there'll be some other Wagner program that's out there. But a very happy birthday to Mr. Milton Hamilton. Wanted to say that. Okay. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When COVID-19 started, the World Health Organization came out with a a ruling and they said wearing masks is not necessary. We don't find that it significantly changes the the ability of you to get or or transmit, you know, COVID the coronavirus. All right, the the Center for Disease Control pretty quickly after that took issue with it. And they say, "No, no, no, this it it, it does and it's something that's precautionary because one of the ways this is transmitted is by airborne particles and so, you know, if you wear a mask, it's not necessarily that it's going to protect you from from getting sick, but it will, if you are a carrier, it will protect the people around you. And so the conventional wisdom now has been wear, wear masks. It's mandatory in some situations. For example, Milwaukee County buildings, once they start to open up, if you want to go into the buildings, you got to wear a mask. That That's the rule. Um, 
It's recommended in other places. Some businesses say if you want to come inside, you've got to wear masks. Others recommend it, but they don't make it mandatory. But th- this whole debate about masks is really, I, I think it it's kind of splintering America because there's people who feel strongly about this both ways. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a question. If you are someone who refuses to wear a mask. My, my question is, why? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I need some volunteers, and, and it, it's a sincere question. I mean, if if you are one of the people, and I know there's a lot of folks out there that just say, I'm not going to go into a store if it requires me to wear a mask. I think the mask rules are, you know, whatever. I don't want to do it. But if you're one of those people who just refuses to wear a mask or thinks the mask requirement is absolutely ridiculous. My question is why? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, that's my question. It's a simple, straightforward one. If you are one of the individuals, and there's a lot of people out there that refuse to wear masks, my question is a simple one. It is, it is why? Uh, Jeff, I have a very simple, here's some text. Jeff, I have a very simple reason. It's not political at all. I can't breathe with the thing on, and it steams up my glasses, so then I can't either see or breathe. Uh, Here's another text. Jeff, I'm too claustrophobic to wear a mask. Also, I don't like person talking to me to wear a mask. Watching people's lips helps me hear them. Um, Jeff, I have um, a heart issue. When I wear a mask, I feel it in my chest. My chest gets a heavy feeling. Jeff, the mask just gives people a false sense of security. Wearing the mask prevents the virus. Wearing the mask to prevent the virus is like putting up chicken wire fence to keep out mosquitoes so they don't think it it works. Um, Jeff, I have not worn a mask the entire time. In my mind, if the germs get on the mask, it's no different than any other article of clothing. So if it's on the surface, it's going to spread everywhere you go anywhere. We need to develop herd immunity. Anytime the government tries to mandate I change my behavior, then I know it's not about safety. It's about control. Jeff, I am not sick. I don't need a mask. Jeff, I wear one whenever mandated, but not voluntarily because I've been totally healthy throughout the pandemic and I have a lifetime problem with excessive, um, you talked about post-nasal drip. Okay, those are reasons. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And and this isn't a a judgmental segment. It is a, a genuinely curious question. If you are one of the individuals who chooses or refuses to wear masks, my my question is is why and and some of the reasons we just heard on the text line I think are are valid. Let's talk to Keith. Keith, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Sure. Um, yeah, I, uh, my wife is um, is a cancer survivor, and um, the first five or six weeks of this whole um, situation, we were extremely careful with washing our hands, watching what you know, watching what we touched. Um, and by the way, I work with I work for a nutraceutical company, so um, we're very careful there as well. But we started to get ourselves educated, started to read up on this, and um, 
and we just we said it's, it's, we're done we're, we're done following all this um, uh, I think they look ridiculous um, I can't look at somebody in the face that's wearing one I just I, you know I, I feel like I'm at a, on a movie set or something um, I don't support stores that require them like Menards I, I've given my business to Home Depot I know a lot of people have mm-hmm. as well and I think the whole thing advances the narrative that this is this is um, there's there's people trying to control us, that, and this is one way of doing it and striking fear into people. And uh, I just, I just won't support it. Do you think that there's, do you think that there's any value at all to wearing a, a mask in public, or or not at all? I think there there could be, there could be, but um, not enough to compel me to. Uh, to pull one out. Even our, our church finally starts to, is starting to meet outside, and, mm-hmm. and they're not necessarily requiring them. But I'm seeing so many people walking around with them, and um, I don't know. My okay, got my it. Face no, no got it. Okay, okay. no, thanks. I, I mean, that that that, that was the, the question. You know, why or why not, Jeff? I don't wear a mask because I am not a leper. I don't think you are either, and I do not care to be treated as if I am. Okay, I guess I, I, I look at this and, and by the way, I am I am agnostic on, on the issue of, of masks. I, I go back I go back to the World Health Organization saying they're not necessary and then all of a sudden they're saying saying they are. Um, I, I just as a general rule, as people who practice somebody who practices social distancing, I, I'm not that close to people. I mean I, I don't want somebody to be in, in my face anyways. And I guess again going to the point if if you are healthy yourself and the purpose is to stop you from transmitting things and you know that you're not running a fever and you you and there's now this whole issue about whether people who are asymptomatic can even transmit the thing but i, I guess i so I, I look at all that and at the same time i guess i don't see it as being that big a deal and do i do i think it makes a significant difference in health, particularly if you're if you're staying away from other people. I'm, I'm very unclear about that. At the same time, I guess I look at it and think if it makes other people more comfortable, if I'm, I'm in a grocery store even for a limited period of time, maybe just kind of as a I don't mind doing it as just part of the social contract. If it makes other people feel less comfortable, feel more comfortable, okay, I, I can put up with five or ten minutes, you know, wearing wearing the mask while I'm inside. D- does it make a huge difference? I, I'm very, very unclear on that. But am I one of these people who militantly refuses? No. But I know that there are people out there who, who are in that category. Let's talk to Ted in Heartland. Ted, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Ted. Um, I just got back from Laughlin. And the only time I actually wore the mask was for the flight. Okay. Um, because, because they make you, know, you on the plane, 25% right? 25% of the people, well, yeah. Okay, so when you... Yeah, about 25% of the people. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, okay, so when you were in Laughlin, like in, you were in the casinos and stuff, I assume. Correct. Okay, and would you say, okay, I assume all the employees were wearing masks? The employees were wearing masks. Uh, the blackjack dealers were wearing masks. Only one casino had the guests wearing masks. Okay. Okay. Do you um, every, do you think that was a good idea or a bad idea? I didn't seem to mind it because um, you were still touching the chips like you normally would. Mm-hmm. Um, you were still touching the cards at pitch, so you were 
had every opportunity to get it other ways if you were going to. Mm-hmm. Did did you wear one, or you chose not to wear one? Is what you said. Correct. The only time I did was on the flight, and that's because it was required. Okay. Why? I'm just kind of curious. Why? Why did you choose not to wear one? Um, I'm in the older group, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't seem as bad to me as they seem to make it out to be. Okay. Oh, good enough. No, thanks for calling. I mean, I I understand, and that's that that's one of the the attitudes that that's kind of out there. I I do think, and it is interesting because as somebody who used to go to Las Vegas several times a year, it, it was not uncommon to walk through casinos or you know walk up and down the strips or even in shows and see some people, predominantly people from Asia, who were wearing masks, where it's much more commonplace. Um, I I understand it's tough to breathe through the things. I I get it. At the same time, I guess I look at this and say it's a it's a minor inconvenience. I am not at all certain, again, that it's something that's going to make people a lot safer, especially if you practice social distancing and if you're if you're not going out in public if you've got a fever or something like that. I, I'm not sure it makes that much difference. At the other hand, on the other hand, I guess I look at it and say I don't necessarily think it's that big a deal. I, I carry them with me and you know I put them on when I'm going inside as much as a gesture of respect to other people as anything else. This is going to be one of the big culture wars moving forward because the question is going to be how how long will this go on and will Will the habit that some people have gotten into of wearing masks, will it continue after our fears of coronavirus uh, subside? Because there's always going to be something else. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Political correctness run amok or a long overdue change. I am talking about Aunt Jemima. Aunt Jemima, of course, syrup and and pancake batter has been around since, well, it goes back, the history of the the Aunt Jemima brand dates back to 1889. So you're talking about, you know, 130-odd years. Um, The Aunt Jemima brand started out as, again, it it was a pancake brand, and initially... The there, there's no question it's it's gone through a couple different versions, but it started out in 1889. Here's how the Wall Street uh, Journal describes it: the creators of the brand hired a former enslaved woman to be its spokesperson. She made her debut as Aunt Jemima at the Chicago World's Exposition in 1893, singing, telling stories, and making pancakes outside a booth designed to look like a giant flour barrel. Okay, um. Three years after she passed away, Quaker Oats bought the business. So this would be 1926. They hired a new spokeswoman, uh, a woman, her name was Anna Robinson, a heavier woman whose appearance was closer to the quote-unquote mammy stereotypes of the minstrel shows. And and this is what, if you were of a certain age, you you probably remember the the Aunt Jemima brand and the, the, it's clearly, it was the the mammy stereotype um, that was on the, the, the pancake mix boxes and also, of course, on the syrup bottles. Um, The company 
redesign the brand around the, the likeness of this particular woman. And it went on. In 1989, Quaker Oats um, updated the brand's image. And, and what they did is they re- replaced like the headscarf that Aunt Jemima was wearing with a per- with pearl earrings and a, a lace collar. So the, the Aunt Jemima that you see today, and, and PepsiCo bought the business in, in 2001. So PepsiCo's had it for about the last 20 years. And the, the Aunt Jemima that you see that portrayed on the syrup bottles and all today is a, I would say, arguably a contemporary African-American woman. But there's no question that you have the, the stereotype that, that goes back to its original founding. So in any event... PepsiCo, which owns the brand, announced yesterday that they were they were getting rid of it. The the Aunt Jemima brand is is going to essentially disappear. They're they're going to do away with the name Aunt Jemima. They're going to do away not necessarily with the product line. I'm sure they're going to come out with some sort of syrup and some sort of pancake mix, but it's not going to have a tie to Aunt Jemima at all anymore. And and what they say is that it's just e- even though. We don't believe the current depiction is, is racist. You've got this link that, that goes back, and it's unquestionable that, you know, in the beginning it was tied to the whole mammy concept and stuff, and they say it's because of the history of the racist imagery. It's too embedded in the Aunt Jemima brand, and we have no choice but to do away with it. Mars, like the, the thing probably best known for the candy company, um, Mars has its it's Uncle Ben's brand of of rice, and that base dates back to the early 1940s. Um, originally, the Uncle Ben image showed a white-haired black man in a blue suit with a black bow tie. That brand was um, revamped in 2007. And again, um, if you look at the picture of, of the Uncle Ben that appears on the packaging now, there, there's nothing... I think that people would argue that would be racist about it at all, but yet you do have this history that's there. All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, PepsiCo, they, they own the brand. They own the product. They can do whatever they want with the particular product. They believe that even though this is a name that has been around for 130 years, and even though the, the current depiction on the again the syrup bottles or whatever isn't isn't racist not inherently racist it's a you know relatively modern smiling looking african american woman they believe that the brand is so so tied to racism and slavery and stereotypes that they really in 2020 have no choice but to do away with it now it's their call one way or the other my question is are they making the right call do we need to get rid of the Aunt Jemima brand because of the ties, the historical ties to stereotypes? 855-616-1620. When you were thinking about this, I guess I, you're talking to somebody who has for years just rolled his eyes at Marquette University's 
political correctness. That is, remember, Marquette University used to be the Warriors, and they used to have Native American mascots. Okay, they decided they needed to get away, go do away with the Native American mascots because they felt it was stereotypical. But they also had to drop the name Warriors, which to me I, I thought was just, and continue to believe, is political correctness run amok. I understand you changed the mascot, but Warriors to me is not inherently racist. All right, this is kind of the same argument. They have clearly updated the imagery over the years, but the Aunt Jemima brand definitely has that stereotypical sort of tie. All right, is PepsiCo right to get rid of it? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's an interesting text. It says, Jeff, it's ironic. It seems ironic that during our struggle to improve race relations, um, companies are purging African American spokespeople. Now, I guess that that's an interesting way of looking at. It. If you're just tuning in, uh, PepsiCo, which owns the Aunt Jemima brand, you know, the syrup and the pancake mix, they are they are doing away with the brand. They're going to completely get rid of it. Over the course of the next couple months, presumably there will be no more Aunt Jemima and the likeness they use now of a relatively modern African-American woman, that's going to be gone. And I think they figured that even though we, we don't use the old mammy stereotype anymore on the pictures that we did for years and years, the Aunt Jemima brand is so, so inextricably linked with racism that we, we have to get rid of it. All right. It's their call. Is it the right one? Let's talk to Judy in Oak Creek. Hi, Judy. You're on WTMJ. Hi there. How are you? Good. What do you think? They're getting rid of Aunt Jemima. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I guess my thought on it is as as a white girl growing up, uh, an adult woman, I you know, you buy syrup, you buy syrup. Never really gave it a whole lot of thought until mm-hmm. recently. And uh, it's like you know why not because why not change it because you know it's not a part of our history we should be proud of and uh, maybe maybe it does offend someone and I've never even thought about it right. and and you know it's not important for me to keep an Aunt Jemima title on a product. Uh, it could be called you know maple syrup and I'd be <laughs> fine. You know? So I mean. It's just a subtlety, but if you add them all up and we can move in that direction, I I find it heartening. You know, it's it's what I would like to see happen. Okay, thanks for call. I appreciate it. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, the company gets to to make the the company gets to make the call. That, I mean that that's their decision. Part of the and I just throw this out as well. The, the, the Aunt Jemima pancake brand and the syrup, it's not a huge part of, of the PepsiCo empire. So in some respects, from a business perspective, it's, it's easy to do this because again, it's not like they're saying, okay, we're going to change the name of a product that's generating 30% of our revenue. It's less than 1% is what they say. But, but nevertheless, this is what the interesting question to me is. If we were discussing the, the Aunt Jemima brand and the likenesses that were on that product for at least a lot of the times when I was growing up when I was a kid and way before that, I, I would say it's a no brainer. 
And, and you know, of course, that this has the imagery is clearly racist, and I don't think you can argue about it. And it's stereotypical, and it's all those different things. Now they've changed over the last twenty years, and that's what I think makes this an interesting conversation, because the likeness that they are using. Well, I mean, you you, you look at you look at the likeness, and it, and it's not it's not a stereotype at all. It's a it's a modern African American woman who's who's smiling. Okay, that's but. But again, when you say Aunt Jemima, especially if you say it to, if you say it to people of a certain age, it, it does, it, it is linked. I mean, that, that's what I think of. When you think of Aunt Jemima, I mean, I think that's what I, I think of. I think of the whole mammy type of thing. So that's clearly what they are operating on, this assumption that you, you can't unring the bell and that the brand is so inextricably linked to slavery or racism that we can't separate it in people's minds. 855-616-1620. Um, uh, Jeff, what if Aunt Jemima was a product that African-American people enjoyed purchasing because it was a product representing black women as the face of the brand? Well, see, that that's an interesting question to me, which is especially especially now with the updated version of it, you know, were people offended by it or were they saying, hey, okay, this this is a brand that has as a spokesperson a, a relatively modern-looking African-American woman? Is the brand so so linked to racism and slavery that you have to get rid of it? Um, okay, Jeff, Quaker Oats changing uh, – the picture, um, okay, and they're talking about like like Uncle Uncle Ben, which is uh, again another one that uh, where you have a a black man. It's not a stereotype a- at all in the current uh, version of it, but they're talking about getting rid of it. Um, okay, um, let's see, Jeff. I, I think Mrs. Butterworth is behind this. Yeah, well, that that's the question: Is Mrs. Butterworth going to be next? Jeff, the name and logo Aunt Jemima isn't the reason I buy the product. If people find the history of this product offensive, change the name and logo. It's an easy decision. Well, yeah, and that's apparently what they've decided to do. Jeff, a 100 years from now, will companies dump their current African-American spokespeople because they wore racially stereotypical hip-hop clothing? You know, don't know. But I guess my answer to that is that things do change over time. And and you do have have changing mores, and I'm one of the guys that argues that you you can't erase history. I'm the guy that says that you you shouldn't stop teaching to kill a mockingbird in high school English classes because it, it has words that we are uncomfortable with, but but it's literature. I'm the guy that says that you you can't not teach Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer because it portrays what we now understand are stereotypes. I'm the guy who says you, you shouldn't have pulled Gone with the Wind off the air because, okay, some people might be offended by the, the pictures of it. So I, I, I appreciate that. You, you, you can't erase history. At the same time, this is a marketing thing for for a brand. And unlike the Marquette Warriors, where I do think it would have been possible to just have a different mascot and keep the name Warriors, and that was a cave-in to political correctness. In this particular case, and it might surprise some of you, I understand why PepsiCo is doing this because, again, when you think of Aunt Jemima, at least if you are of a certain age, you 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 don't think of the, the modern African-American woman who's pictured on the syrup bottle. You think of, again, that stereotypical type of thing. And I, I guess 
I understand why some people could be offended by that. To me, this is more of a business decision than anything else, and it's a controversy that I guess I think that they're probably just simply trying to avoid. Where this goes in the future, um, I, I don't know. Jeff, when I was a first-grade student, I was in the school play showboat. Um, the one line... My line was, Mammy, Mammy, the showboat's coming, so do we cancel the play Showboat? Well, you know, interesting point. We, Walt Disney produced the, the, the movie Song of the South, which was Uncle Remus, and they told the tale of Br'er Fox and Br'er Rabbit, and they had the song zippity Doodah. That You don't see that movie anymore because they pulled it because of the, the stereotypical images that were there. Now, Showboat's a little bit of a different type of thing, and I guess the question is, you know, moving forward, can you, can you keep that history? And the answer, I think, is, at least in the short term, probably, probably not. I mean, probably not because of, again, the the racial overtones to this. Will Aunt Jemima make a comeback at some point in time in the future? Well, time will only tell. But bottom line is, they've already decided. PepsiCo says no more Aunt Jemima. Mars is considering what to do with Uncle Ben's converted rice. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstead, as we were talking about at the beginning of the program, English Premier Sports is back, sort of. English Premier League soccer coming back. They're going to have multiple games a day, 35 of the next 40 game days to, to fill in the schedule. The first game was the Corker game. It started out with uh, Aston Villa. Okay, which is owned, uh, co-owned by one of the guys that owns the Bucks, Wes um, Edens. Edens, yeah, he's one of the owner. He also has an ownership interest in Aston Villa, and they're playing Sheffield United. Okay, end of the first half, nil nil. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, that, so all right, so, so there, there you go. For everybody who bet that it was going to be a tie, at least so far, <laughs> it's kind of uh, holding up there. But sports is back. I, I, I get. I just can't get over the fact that. That baseball has missed such an. This is from a baseball fan. It's missing such an opportunity, and 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 again, it's just that this was the time that baseball, at least in the United States, had a chance to kind of like dominate the landscape and come back and and get people back into the habit of, of watching baseball. Mm-hmm. They've just they've blown it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I still think they're going to come back at some point, but we're well, we're a ways away. Well, yet. you know, I mean, the big fear is that the owners can, I guess, force them to come back and play a 40- or 50-game season or whatever. The fear is that a lot of players just say they're not going to do it, especially a lot of the players that make a whole bunch of money might say, well, we don't want to, quote-unquote, put our health at risk by, by playing, so we're, we're just going to sit out the year. So what 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 is what does that mean, and what is what happens if a lot of the bigger higher who, – who can afford, arguably, to sure. sit it out? I mean, if you're, if you're making $20 million a year – and the question is, okay, we're going to bring you back, and we're going to expect you to pay for play for maybe a third of it. And I understand for most of us that's a lot of money, but if you've got a multiple year contract, you could say, oh, what the heck, I'll just sit this out. Yeah, right. If you if you have the talent and the ability to do that, and with these owners, you know they invest a lot of money into these clubs. So I, the one thing that I can't understand is I keep I keep expecting for as much money goes into investing into these clubs, why not? Why not invest a little bit more at this moment? You know what I mean, and and help keep it thriving and 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 bring it together now when when the country would really, like you said, direct onto it and everyone would right. watch it. It just it seems like now is the time to 
put a further down payment, right. if you will, well, onto right. the product. And, and, and I, I say that for both the owners and the players. From the players' perspective, uh, I mean, again, for you, you've got the superstars, but the average career in Major League Baseball is three and a half years. I mean, so there, there's a real small window, and there's a lot there's a lot of players, a lot more players making a million dollars or less than there are players that are making right. twenty or thirty million. Right. That, that's just the reality. So, I, and and if if you've got a real short window, you're you're going to play for a couple years, mm-hmm. and okay, so so maybe they're asking you to come back and play for play for a couple months for four hundred grand instead of of a million. You, you've only got this limited opportunity to make to make money, and because right. it's 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 tough to make four hundred thousand four hundred thousand dollars over three months in the real world. Mm-hmm. It's just tough right. tough to do that, and so that's a lot of money to. And I understand you're leaving some money on the table. You're not getting that extra five hundred thousand, but you're still getting four hundred grand. And I guess. For, for everybody's sake, and the larger point, because I mean, again, from the player's perspective, especially if you're one of these folks who who is probably on that lower end of the pay scale at a million dollars or whatever, and has that limited career, I'd be saying, I, I don't, I don't want to be sitting out. I'm, it, we just right, had, they, play, we had the right. baseball draft. I mean, that those guys they drafted, you know, two years from now, they're going to be taking my spot, and I'm going <laughs> to be. I'm, I'm going to be doing talk radio or <laughs> selling insurance or doing whatever it is. Yeah, I, right. It, it's, it is amazing to me that they, they have not been able to get their act together. And every day that goes on is a day further away from that happening. Because like we've talked about, we're now past the midpoint in June. The NBA is committed to coming back at the end of July. That's when NFL training camps start. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, you know it, it's... You know, you're going to be competing with all that. Time is of the essence. Get it done. Although it sounds like they're going to sit and delay for a little while and then maybe play a 50-game season. So We will see. All right. But if, if you're into sports, English Premier League soccer, back. I think it's still 0-0 or nil-nil, as they say. All right. I have, um, my, my wife has several grandchildren. She's several. She has four grandchildren. Um, and my, my nephew is going to be going into eighth grade. So between that, the, the five of them, I've got an idea about the, the virtual learning. I mean, they were all caught up. They all go to public schools. They were all caught up in the, the shutdown and they've all been subject to kind of the, the virtual learning. I, I think it is fair to say, that while some of the kids have done better than others, it's it's not a good alternative to classroom instruction. I, I, th- I think I, I think that would would be fair. For, first of all, um, we, we pay teachers to teach, and they are professionals. Expecting mom and dad to sort of play the role of, of teacher is is a difficult. That that is a tough ask. On top of that. When the kids are are at home, there's so many distractions that are out there. You know, you and especially if mom or dad is at home and they're trying to work from home as well, and the kids supposed to be in the next room and they're supposed to be doing their lessons, and you know you're you're working and all of a sudden you check in and the kids playing video games or whatever. It, it's just it is a frustration, and I know from talking to a lot of parents that they are. They are frustrated, and while they've tried to make the best of a bad situation at the end of the last school year, I I think most people felt that it's not a a sustainable situation moving forward, that the – and different people have different Internet capabilities and things like that. But I think almost everybody would agree that that this idea of virtual learning, particularly in – 
elementary school and in high schools, it, it's a poor, it is a poor second choice to, uh, again, the actual classroom learning. Well, it, it's already mid-June. So you've got July and, and August, and a lot of schools start. And a lot of schools start within, you know, 60 days from now or so, or, or at, at the most, like 75 days from now. And so schools are trying to wrestle with what what is the future going to look like? And I guess there, there's really three alternatives that are out there. One is continue to keep the schools closed. Do not bring the kids back into the, into the fall and just continue to do like the online learning. Secondly would be um, bring everybody back and have a normal sort of school year. Just we'll, we'll try to separate some stuff and we'll try to space the kids out a little bit, but, but let's have a, a normal school year. And the third alternative is kind of a hybrid of the two. I mean, there's been a lot of different ideas that have been thrown out, but, but one of the ones that I've heard a lot is uh, essentially divide, divide the school in half. So let's say you've got a high school and instead of having the high school, you know, is, is ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade. Instead of having all four grades in the buildings, what you do is you, you alternate. You say, okay, so on Monday and, Monday and Wednesday, we're going to have the, um, we're going to have the freshmen and we're going to have the juniors. And then on Tuesday and Thursday, we're going to bring in the sophomores and, and the seniors. And then on the other days, we'll, we'll do online learning. And then Friday, we'll just have it as a day of instruction or something like that. Or alternatively, maybe under my scenario, it's one week the freshmen and the juniors are there Monday and Wednesday. And the next week, they're there Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and you alternate Fridays. But one of these ideas that will reduce classroom size, space people out, still use online learning, but at the same time, um, not have kids in class as much. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Assuming we do not have a vaccine for coronavirus in the next 60 to 75 days, and I think that's probably a, a good good thing, uh, a good bet that we're not going to have one. Obviously, you'd love to have a vaccine. And assuming that we're not yet ready to put, I don't know, a couple thousand people in a high school school building, what do we do? Can we, should we resume in-person teaching this fall? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer is we, we have to. Now, I don't know if we send everybody back all at once, but I, I don't think you can continue to limp along with this online virtual learning. I think that that would be a disaster. I think you have to figure out a way to get kids back into the classroom somehow, some way. And if that means a couple days a week so you can space it out, that's fine. But you can't expect kids to stay home for another full semester. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you are one of the parents that have been dealing with the virtual learning, the online learning, particularly with, with younger kids, I, I'd be curious, is it time to get the kids back to school? Do the kids have to get back to school even if we don't have a vaccine? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is a very real issue because schools have to decide what they're going to do within the next like 60 to 75 days. And they're, they're still collectively wrestling with this. I don't think it is acceptable to say we're going to continue to keep them closed down. I, I just don't think that promotes learning. I, I understand that over the course of the last couple months, we, we had to do this. And I think it, it worked out, well, d- depending. I think you can say it worked out okay for some kids. And I think for a lot of kids and their parents would say it was just an absolute disaster. Now, I, I'm not faulting anybody in connection with this. That's just kind of the reality. But now we've had the summer to plan. And I think, you know, we have to recognize that just like we are reopening all sorts of things, we are reopening pools, not in Milwaukee County, but we are opening reopening pools. We are reopening water parks. You know, we have large outdoor gatherings in the form of protests. Given the fact that we are starting to get back, I don't think we have any choice but to allow people to, uh, again, you know, start to expecting the kids to go back into school. And I hope these school officials are doing this. 855-616-1620. Jeff, they are missing social development. Book learning can be done at home, but parents may not be prepared. However, I saw books um, that explain different grade levels, you know, what you need to learn in second grade, etc., etc. Jeff, I'm in favor of an adjusted hybrid plan. I think it's a minimum for large schools. In smaller schools, resume with protocols. The online concept long time puts these um, students of age at severe functional and competitive disadvantages I I um, I, I agree I agree completely with that you you have to I think first of all look at, at what what are class sizes in a particular area and and maybe if you need to space out the kids and start with a gradual comeback that, that that's okay you know we, we've seen that as we reopen businesses you know when we started to reopen restaurants for example it, it wasn't everybody in at once it was we'll start out gradually in the city of milwaukee they're still not allowing more than 25 percent into bars and restaurants despite pretty much everywhere else there's a much higher threshold but it seems to me that that's something that you want to look at for doing with schools as well allow the kids to start coming back and again it depends on the facilities you have Am I arguing that you should have, I don't know, 40 kids in a classroom, everybody on top of each other? No, but it does seem to me that with a little bit of planning and maybe, maybe again, it's the two days, one week, three days, the next week, schedule it out, spread it out. Um, it might mean the teachers are going to have to bounce between classrooms, things like that. It might mean that some of the people that are teaching third grade also have to teach fourth grade or something like that. I understand there's going to be challenges, but I think it is crucial to start to get the kids back into the classrooms. And the idea of saying, all right, no, you're not going to be allowed to do that is just unacceptable. Now, having said that, I mean, I, I, my niece my goddaughter, who is, she's going to be a senior at San Diego State, they're, they're still virtual learning for the whole first semester. They're not bringing people back into the classroom. I don't think that's a great alternative, but at the same time, that, that's for college kids. It's a different dynamic, I think, with, with, college, with college students than it is certainly with elementary school and secondary kids. Jeff, my sister has struggled immensely with having an 8-year-old, a 5-year-old, and a 1-half-year-old, a newborn, 
um, at, at home. I especially, especially the five-year-old um, who's been struggling with trying to do something on the screen when he really needs to interact with other people and other kids. A- a- absolutely. It's just, to me, the online learning for for young children, and by that I mean a grade school, you know, the elementary school kids, the, the high school kids, it it's a fallback position. It's an emergency position. It's something that they had to do. But the idea that it's something that you do for a, another semester, just absolutely unacceptable. Got to get the kids back. If you can't get them all back at once, get them back on a limited basis. Dip your toe into it, and then, then you can expand as time moves on. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. A couple different postings. Uh, there, there's a piece in the Washington Post about baseball, and it, it's it's a pretty good explanation of why it, it's looking increasingly likely that baseball isn't going to be played in 2020. And I'm not. I, I hope that's not the case. Even in an abbreviated season, I'd I'd love to hear Bob Uecker call a handful of games. But if you look at the economics of this and the timing of it and how entrenched the different parties are and the fact that management doesn't trust labor and labor doesn't trust management and the collective bargaining agreement expires at the end of next season and it's going to be a prolonged mess, it it goes through all that. So if you want to get an idea of why why I think it's a long shot that baseball is going to come back, peace in the Washington Post. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620. Also. It is, it, it's the most disgusting video that I have seen today, and, and maybe in, in a while. It's, um, and I, I sent out the tweet, that the headline is, it's Exhibit A for why defunding the police is not a good idea. It's, it's in Brooklyn, and it's captured by the security camera that they have outside the store. What you have is you have this 92-year-old lady who's walking down the street and she's kind of got she's got a walker and she's got the, the walker is something that has like like she's got a bag of groceries in front of it so she's 92 years old she's walking down the street there's this thug coming the other way so they're passing each other on the sidewalk as he goes past her he reaches out and he punches her in the head it, it, it just he's walking one way she's walking the other he reaches out and he punches her in the head and and she she goes over. He, he knocks her down. She ends up hitting her head. It's this it, this assault out of nowhere. Now, it turns out that the guy who did it, um, the way the New York Post describes it, has more than 100 arrests, 100 arrests to his name. Um, 31-year-old guy, convicted sex offender who's, you know, out, out on the streets. The, the lady says, I thought a brick hit me or something hit me on the left side of my head. I went down and I hit my head against this fire hydrant. And you can just see this whole thing. Blood, I was bleeding, um, you know, just, you know, and now she says, I, I'm just... It's there's kind of like a PTSD sort of thing about it. I'm just walking down the street, minding my own business, and here you have this guy that just comes out of the clear blue and and punches me, and then walks away. She laid on the ground until a passerby called nine one one, and medics rushed her to the the hospital. Um, it's just it's one of these sort of bizarre things. But again, for anybody who thinks that gee, we we don't need the police or having fewer police on the street is a good idea. Again, take a look at this video. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620 on Twitter. I sent that out. Okay. 
we've discussed before the unintended consequence of the federal government adding $600 a week to people's unemployment benefits. Now, now typically, you know, unemployment is paid through state unemployment compensation funds. Well, after everybody, millions of people lost their jobs through no fault of their own in an effort to try to allow people to continue to make their car payments and to continue to put food on the table, what the federal government decided to do, the president Republicans in the Senate, Democrats in the House, we we created this program where if you are unemployed, you get an extra $600 a week in, in benefits on top of whatever you might get from the state. This has created the very weird situation that for many people, with that extra 600 bucks, you make more money not working than you do working. And it's one of the things that some businesses are saying is delaying the recovery. And we've talked about this before because businesses are ready to start rehiring, but they reach out to their, their, the workers who are furloughed or laid off or whatever. And the workers are saying, don't bring us back or we don't want to come back. Oh, you know, we're, we're not in a hurry to come back because they make more money not working than working. Or alternatively, they make almost as much money, you know, not working as working. So, I mean, why, why go back and why work at a job if, you can make more money not working. The the $600 a week supplement is due to expire at the end of July. So there's like six weeks left in it. Some Democrats in Congress want to extend it through the end of the year. My understanding is that that is a complete and total non-starter, that, that that's not going to happen. But one of the things that's being kicked around as an alternative in an effort to try to get people back to work, is as opposed to an unemployment bonus, what they're looking at is a return to work bonus. And so, you know, one of the, Larry Kudlow, who's one of the senior economic advisors to President Trump, he's saying that instead of the $600 a week boost in unemployment benefits, what we should do is we should look at giving people who are brought back to work, giving them, well, maybe 400 bucks a week extra, maybe $450 a week, or argue about what the particular amount is, but it's an incentive to get people back to work. And it's incentive, therefore, if the employers are hiring and the employers are bringing people back, here, you, you say, look, this is, this is what we want you to do. This is an incentive, go back, get to work, and and we'll we'll help you and we'll get you some extra money while your employer tries to get back on his feet and at the same time we'll help you continue to get back on your feet for having lost your job or been furloughed okay 855-616-1620 that's the Acunet mortgage talk and text line i think this idea has some merit and if i guess just on principle instead of paying people not to work i think it's better to try to incentivize going back to work. And if we're going to go one way or the other, and we still want to help people who've been just absolutely blasted by the economic events of the last you know, several months, I think a back-to-work benefit is the way to go. 855-616-1620. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
Let's start with Leonard on the north side. Leonard, good afternoon. Jeff, thank you. Yes, sir. What do you think? Uh, you know, I am a, I, I am admittedly a higher pay advocate. I've been in employment for over 25 years. Um, I am into paying people more. The, one of the things that we had before the pandemic was a need for workers. Everyone was trying to get workers. Well, why didn't they go to work? They weren't being paid enough. So this 450 uh, incentive to me is a no-brainer, but you need to pay people more to make it worth their coming and going to work every day. Pay them more, higher wages, more money. Well, the problem, I mean, Leonard, thanks for the call. The, the problem, especially now, is that th- that money, the money's got to come from somewhere. And a, a lot of businesses have been just absolutely, absolutely devastated by this. Now, I see the Target, for example, just raised their minimum wage up to 15 bucks an hour. And I guess that's a whole other discussion. I, I think... I think especially right now, given the fact that there's a lot of businesses that are, that aren't reopening or a lot of businesses that are just uh, are hanging on by just, just just hanging on by their fingernails because what's happened is they, they've had no income coming in for months. I, I think the idea to say to them, OK, we want you to bring back your employees and we want you to I don't know, pay them. You know, give, give them all ten dollar an hour raise, wage raises or whatever, five dollar an hour, whatever. That, that's to me kind of a non-starter because the employers are going to say, "Hey, don't don't you understand? We're just we're just barely able to figure out how to turn on the lights right now. You know, we we want to get started, but we want to ramp up." I, I do think uh, if you're looking at a government program. Trying to give financial incentives for people to go back to work makes more sense than for the people who are out of work. Now, by the way, I'm getting a number of texts that make a very, very good point. And I'm, what about all the people that have worked through this? And I understand that is a flashpoint and a frustration. What about the people who were essential workers, who drove the trucks, who, you know, worked, worked as the, the cashiers at the grocery stores, who stocked the shelves, who did all that, who've been working through all this thing? Who, you know, would, would in some respects have liked to have been laid off because between the unemployment and the benefit, they could have made more, but they have continued working. I understand that for those people, well, th- th- there's an element of non-fairness about this, and I, I appreciate it. But at the same time, I don't know, for the folks who have been laid off, what we have to do is we have to give them incentives to go back to work. And right now, the system we have isn't doing that. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. We've been talking a lot about baseball. Our, our sports editor, our digital editor and sports reporter, Jay Sorgi, just sent out a note. There's somebody from the Major League Baseball Network, John Heyman, reporting that MLB and the players are closing in on a deal to start the season. Says they're apparently near a deal to start the 2020 season. Hope that's the case. Again, I'll, I'll believe that one when I see it. Um, but time is certainly a wasting, and every day they let go by gets, I think, worse and worse and worse. Okay. Was it racist? Or was it just a good idea under the circumstances? Or was it a bad idea that wasn't racist? 
Here, here's the deal. We've had, of course, over the last several weeks, you've had various protests. It started in the wake of the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, and now it started, it's grown to other sorts of things, you know, to defund the police, you know, racial equity, all those different types of things. And, and you've seen the, these marches, which by have been, by and large, peaceful. There have been some problems, but in general, these marches are peaceful. So here's what happened. Tuesday, the marchers went to Menominee Falls, went to Milwaukee suburb. And that's one of the things that they're starting to expand to the suburbs. One of the things that I think has really struck me from looking at the, the videos of a number of these protests has been the the multiracial element of, of the protests. If you look at, the, for example, if you look at pictures from Menominee Falls protest, you see all different, you see people of all different colors. I mean, it's not like it's exclusively African Americans that are protesting. You see um, Hispanics, you see black people, you see lots of white people. I mean, it, it really, it, it's one of these things. You see older people, you see younger people. That These marches really have, to that extent, I think that they've captured a, a multicultural uh, approach. So it's not just like exclusively like that you've got Hispanic people are marching or, or white people are marching or black people are marching. It's, it's a, it's a multiracial approach group that has turned out to protest. So here's the deal as reported by the Journal Sentinel. Speedway in Menominee Falls closes after protesters attempt to use the bathroom. All right, here's here's the deal. Um, protesters apparently are are on are, are marching. So you got lots of protesters that are marching and they're in the area of the Speedway gas station out in Menominee Falls. Okay, what happens is there's a gas station employee. Now, I don't know how many employees they had working at the Speedway at like 8 o'clock at night or whatever time this was, but my um, my guess is there, there's there's not too many. And there's a lot of people that are marching. So what happens is there's now a, a film of a ski, Speedway gas station employee locking the doors as protesters approached the business. Now, the protesters are saying, let us in. We want to use the bathrooms, which is, of course, you know, you're, you're out there. You've you got to use bathrooms from time to time. They want to use the bathroom and they want to shop. And in these videos, I guess, men and women could be seen standing outside the business saying, why are the doors locked? At around 8.30 at night, the station shuts down for the night. Its normal closing time is 11 o'clock. But I, clearly... This is in response to you, you have all the, these marchers and they want to come in and they want to use the bathrooms, etc. cetera. Uh, State Representative Jonathan Brostoff uh, took to Facebook Live. He was apparently there showing the employee and several customers inside with the door locked. Uh, apparently, Speedway does not want black people coming into the Menominee Falls district, said Brostoff, who later called it a racist act. State Representative David Bowen was also on the scene. He tweeted, Day 19 at Speedway in the Menominee Falls suburb closed so Black Lives Matters protesters can't use the bathroom or get gas on a corporate decision. Seems pretty, race, pretty racist to close when the black people show up. They should clarify. 
All right. And then the Journal Sentinel reached out to the Speedway and, and nobody was, was answering at that point in time. One of the politicians said, we're living in an era where there has to be accountability. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, immediately the assumption here is that this was this racist decision. That's one of the reasons why I, I looked at the racial makeup of the protesters in Menominee Falls. And at least from some of the photographs and some of the film cut, uh, coverage I saw, you, you have had, again, you had people of all different races that were participating in the march. So here you have the Speedway gas station. It's in the evening. You have all sorts of marchers slash protesters that are, are coming towards the gas station. And you have the employee who decides, that's it, I'm going to lock it up. All right. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is this... I guess there, there's two questions here. One is, is this a valid decision? Could there have been a reason why they made that decision that could have been justified? And I guess then secondly, if if the decision to lock the store was wrong, does that automatically mean that it was was racist? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a moment. But, all right, they decided to lock the doors. So, I, again, my guess is you've got a couple employees at the Speedway. They see all sorts of people, large number of marchers coming towards them, and what they do is they lock the doors. Right decision, wrong decision, racist decision. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, uh, we will get to you. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right, topic generating a huge response with, like, opinions all over the map. Let me, before we go to the phones, let me just share a couple of the text. Um, let's see. Jeff, nice try. Clearly it was racist. I don't know about nice try, but clearly it was racist. Jeff, um, maybe it was just too many people at once. Jeff, I would have closed. Safety of my employees come first. I think it was the right decision. Jeff, it's not racist. They were protecting the business. With all the protests that have turned into looting, who wouldn't want to protect their business from being another casualty? Jeff, could it be seen as a way to deter looting? It wasn't like they were not letting black people in. They weren't letting anyone in and that's um that's true okay 855-616-1620 that's the acunet mortgage talk and text line so you've got it's it's like eight o'clock at night you've got the speedway gas station that's there you've got all these people that are marching past it and large number of people want to come in and they want to use the bathroom and they want to they say they want to shop and the speedway employee just kind of closes it down and locks the doors and, and won't let people in they're now accused of you know being being racist in the way they did it Okay, is this inherently racist? Let's start with uh, Bob in Menominee Falls. Hi, Bob. Hi. Yeah, I live right up the street from that gas station. They let all kinds of people in, any color, from anywhere uh, at all times. And what I believe they were doing, I cannot speak for them, what I believe they were doing is, you know, we're, we're two weeks into a whole lot of hooligans going on throughout this country, some legitimate, some not. And what I believe they were doing is, you know, you can see it coming a mile away, and they were deterring that. They were deterring protesters possibly getting out of control, which has been displayed day after day after day here. But on a regular basis, 
they let anybody in. It's a good business. There's nothing wrong with it. So you just think that this was and you my, my guess is they couldn't have had too many employees on on staff that that night. And so you're thinking it's just a couple guys, a couple employees that are seeing this large group of people coming towards them and it's like, look, we we don't know what this is going to be. We're we're just closing the doors because we 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 don't we're not saying they're going to be violent, but we just want to close the doors because we don't want to take any chances. Well, yeah, that and and I want I want people to remember that we're in a day and age of social media. So uh, a while ago on the show, you you had discussed with some other people that you know these these protests aren't as big as maybe the civil rights protests uh, in the '60s and such. Uh, something can be posted, and within an hour, it can be that big. So it has the opportunity to multiply a lot bigger and. If anyone's been paying attention to the social media posts around my area, people have been posting for a week, when are we going to go out to Grafton, Menominee Falls, and such, and hit these places. And okay. as, as much as I want to believe, yeah. Okay, got it. No, thanks for call, Bob. I, I, I mean, th- this is the discussion. Here's a text. Somebody says, Jeff, you're the manager. What would you have done? And I think that's a very, I think that's a, a very good question. And I guess part of it to me depends on, you know, what the, how many people are there? You know, what's, what's the deal that, that's out there? If it's a question of a couple people wanting to come in and use the bathrooms, I've got no, I've got no problem with it. On the other hand, if it's, okay, this, my, my gas station now is going to become, you know, sort of protest central for the course of the next hour or two. And again, I, I don't know what the circumstances were in that particular case. I, I might understand why they ended up closing it. I guess, I don't, I I don't, one of the things you can argue, it seems to me, whether or not the decision to close was correct or not when you're confronted with this large crowd coming your way. The, the, The idea, though, that we have a couple people that automatically say that this has to be racist. Well, I, I don't think it has to be racist. I, I don't think that that necessarily follows. It, it might be you've got these managers who, again, have, have seen some of the problems that have happened. And I understand the marches have largely been peaceful, but, you know, just don't want to deal with large groups of people that are suddenly coming into the place under these circumstances. That doesn't make it racist. Now, it might make it a bad decision. Maybe even the optics are bad, but it doesn't make it inherently racist, especially given the fact that the makeup of the crowd was certainly mixed. Let's talk to Dan in West Allis. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I I agree with, with uh, most of your uh, callers and texters w- with regards to I don't see it as racist. I, I, I definitely see it as a decision made by the business owner to protect his employees and his business. Now, the timing could have maybe been better. I mean, if you, if they would have maybe anticipated this in advance and been closed, yeah. as opposed to locking the door as they went by, to your point, I think the optics might have been a little better. Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, I, I, I'm sort of wondering, when I saw this story, was this any, is it really, is it any more materially different than, some of the stores over the course of the last couple of weeks who've been in some of the areas where there's been a lot of protests who just haven't opened up at all. You know, it's kind of made that decision that we're not going to open up. That, this seems to me, it's kind of the, the same, the same sort of situation. And as long as you've got a racially mixed crowd, it, to me, you can easily say, right or wrong, hey, we just, we weren't prepared to deal with all these people that are coming down the street. And so as a result, we just decided to close. That doesn't make it a racist decision. 
Yeah, I agree. You know, I'm 100% in support of the Black Lives Movement and uh, Black Lives Matter movement and, and the right to peaceful protest. But to your point, I, can, I, I think we as a nation have to stop and look, stop calling everything racist and making everything divisive because, you know, I, I don't think it's moving us forward as a country. Yeah, no, th- thanks for calling. Look, my, my, my guess is <laughs> that, that you have, you know, a couple people working at this, at this Speedway gas station and all of a sudden you see, oh my gosh, we, we got all these people coming towards us and we're going to have all these people that want to come in here and, and use our bathrooms or, or whatever. And my guess is they freaked out. That, that would be sort of it. And, you know, okay, so look, we're, we're not equipped to deal with this right now. And, and so we're just going to close down. And, and, and again, you can argue that that might have been a decision made in panic. You can argue that that wasn't the right decision. And, and that, that's, that, that's fair enough. I understand that discussion. But to automatically decide that we're going to play the race card and say, well, it, it had to be the, this racist corporate decision. No, it was, you know, we don't want to find our store suddenly, you know, overwhelmed by all these protesters and all these people that are going to be in there. And, and so we're, we're just going to go ahead and, and close. It's, Right or wrong, that's fine, but it doesn't necessarily make it racist. And I think it's unfair to play the race card in situations like this. Because again, I, I can understand, you know, why, why some manager, or maybe it's not even a manager, maybe it's, you know, just somebody that's, you know, some clerk that's working there, and all of a sudden you say, oh my gosh, we're kind of in the middle of this, and I've got all these people that are pouring into the store, and we're kind of overwhelmed by this. I don't know how to deal with it. So, you, you decide, okay, we're just going to shut it down. Maybe bad optics, not necessarily racist. This is Jeff Wagner.